Uh, we're going to get into the word. Before I do that, I want to. We need to all be on the same page this morning. This is not a trick question. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. So, if you agree with me, I want you to say amen. When the preacher is preaching, you need to pay attention to what the preacher's saying. Amen. All right. So listen. Here's the problem. So. Evan and Allie are here with my grandchild, and he is the handsomest child in the history of the world. All right? But listen, listen. The sermon's important. Don't look at the baby. Look at me, all right? You need to focus on the Word of God this morning. You can see the baby afterwards. I know he's handsome. I get it. He's handsome. You need to pay attention to the sermon, okay? Romans chapter 2. Dig in together in Romans 2, 17 through 29. If you're visiting, there's a black pew Bible in the rack in front of you, and the page number is in the... Um, Uh, is in the order of worship this morning. Uh, Let's dig into the Word of God together. Uh, We're going to look in Romans chapter 2. As you're flipping there, I just wanted to say, uh, you guys have seen this, and a lot of you all have seen this in the news this week, and I I just want to note it just briefly. We're not going to talk about it a long time. But a lot of you all have seen in the news uh, what's going on at Asbury Seminary and and the powerful move of God that is going on there. And, And one of the reasons that I love reading the stories about that is it is simply a reminder to me that God is still doing great things today. And so as we keep praying for fire from heaven and seeing in our county and in our church a powerful move of the Holy Spirit, when you see things like that, it's just it's so encouraging me to be able to look at it and say, you know what? God's still doing it. God's still doing it. God's still doing it. So we just need to pray for that kind of a powerful move of God here in our church and in our county. So continue to pray. Romans chapter 2 is where we're going to dig in this morning. We're going to start in uh, in verse 17 and uh, work our way down through the uh, through the end of the chapter. It says there, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the word on I'm sorry, on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of truth and of knowledge and truth, excuse me. You then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now he's going to talk about circumcision, which he's talking to some Jewish people here, and he's bringing out the outward part of obedience that they went in, that they sued, as opposed to obedience in their heart. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then, if you if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is only, who is only one, I'm sorry, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. 
All right, this is a complicated passage and we need to dig in together in this. If you have your sermon outline this morning, if you're visiting, there's a sermon outline in your, um, in your bulletin. We want to unpack what he has to say here, and it has to do with religious identity and the way that a lot of times we get off track by um, believing and trusting in the wrong thing. So our spiritual position is this. Many casual church attenders take great pride in their religious identity. Many casual church attenders take great pride in their religious identity. So we're going to talk about the, the, the religious identity that we have. And here he's talking to some, some folks in Rome here who are coming out of a Jewish background. So he's focusing on the, the pride that they have in their Jewishness, the pride that they have in their religious background. And a lot of times we see folks who, um, even though they're not Jewish folks, they're, they're Gentiles and, and maybe they will say they were raised in the Baptist church. Um, a lot of times we see folks who will take great pride in their religious identity. Well, you know, I've been a member of this church for 40 years or, you know, I, I joined that church when, when I was baptized at age eight or whatever it may happen to be. They take great pride in that, in, in the religious position and identity that they have. As you look at verse 17 and following, he, he brings out some of the things that if those that were Jews back in that day would have found points of religious pride. It says, now you who call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, which is something they did, they relied on the law and they boasted in their position before God. You know, the Jews were God's chosen people. But then he begins to say some things that um, that indicate the, the level of pride that they had. 18, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children. Um, as you go down through, they're bringing out all these things that a Jewish person would have great pride in. And the problem is that a lot of times when people do have great pride in, well, I joined this church all those years ago, or I've served this church in so many ways, we're putting pride and we're putting our religious identity in something that ultimately cannot save us. I, I could stand here today and say, well, you know, I, I've been a pastor for how many years now? 26 years. I've been a pastor for 26 years now. And so, you know, I know I'm good before God. I am not good before God because I've been a pastor for 26 years. I am good before God because about 35 years ago, I believed in Jesus Christ. And so we need to understand, it's easy to get puffed up with how long we've been a member or how much we've served or what all we've done. But we have to go back, instead of having that pride in that religious identity, we have to go back to the basics, which is all we have is what Jesus did for us. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and about 35 years ago, I recognized my need for Him. I recognized that I had messed up, and I needed what He had for me, and so I asked Him into my life, and everything that has flowed from that has been me just trying to live for Jesus, and the fact that I am a pastor doesn't mean that you know, God has elevated me in any way to say that I'm, well, religiously, I'm a great person now. The only good that is in me is the good that Jesus Christ has put in me. And so as we think about that, as we look here, we need to understand and make sure that like the folks he's talking about, we don't get caught up in, in religious pride in our religious identity. I saw an interesting quote a, a while back. Um, Michael Bloomberg was the mayor of New York City for several years. And uh, he did an interview. Um, he was about to go to his 50th 
uh, college reunion. And, and he did an interview right about then. And he was getting to an age where a lot of his classmates had passed away. And so he was kind of thinking about his own mortality. And I want to read what he said because it's a striking example of what we see here. Uh, Bloomberg said this. Um, the article said, if, Boom, if Bloomberg senses that he may not have much time left, as much time left as he would like, he has little doubt about what would wait him on Judgment Day. Pointing to his work uh, throughout his life, he said with a grin, I'm telling you, if there's a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not even stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. I could not disagree with him more. And I'm telling you this morning, I have not earned my place in heaven. Jesus Christ died for me, and that's the only way I'm getting in. And so we have to start with putting aside the pride where we try to puff ourselves up and think that, well, you know, because we've done this, that, or the other, that we're, we're worthy of, of, um, of God's praise. But instead, we, focus, we start with uh, understanding that it's not in that religious identity that we're going to find our pride. Now, look in the verses that follow. The second thing is this. The problem with doing what I just said in finding that pride in our religious identity is this. Paul, or, um, Paul writes here, you're not doing what you say you believe. You're not doing what you say you believe. So he brings out the problem with saying that my pride is in being a Jewish person and, and so I look to the law and all that the law says and I find my pride in that. Or the pride in saying, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Baptist and I've been a member of this church for, for as long as I have. Um, the pride in all that is that as he brings out in 20 and, and following, we all fall short and we're not living up to what exactly we are supposed, uh, what, what exactly we say that we believe. Look in 20. It says halfway through 20. Because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? So the problem is that um, even though we point to our religious pride and we say, well, you know, I've done this or I have this in my life, ultimately we all fall short. Ultimately we all don't measure up to everything. You know, in the law it talked about the fact that you had to be perfect. You had to do everything in the law. If you were going to be justified by the law of Moses, you had to keep it perfectly and no one could keep it perfectly. And as we think about that, when we consider that pride that we have in our religious identity, we have to stop and think about the fact that I cannot do everything that I'm supposed to do perfectly. I'm going to fall short. And because I'm going to fall short, I have to put my pride somewhere other than in my ability to do everything that God wants me to do. I, I, read, a, um, I read a story a while back. It, it was, she was an older lady. I think if I remember her name was Nina. And she, um, she was an older lady. She got, um, she got, ended up with this long car chase. Um, she was out driving one day and this police officer went to pull her over and she continued to drive. Um, it was a long chase. They ended up, she never would pull over. They ended up having to, to put down the, those things they put in the road that blow out your tires. It blew out three of her four tires. She finally stopped. Um, the weird thing about it was, it was this really long 
police chase, but never once during the police chase did she break the speed limit. She was just puttering along at the speed limit. She wouldn't pull over, but she was puttering along at the speed limit. She was breaking the law while keeping the law. And a lot of us, we kind of do something like that because we're like, you know, now I come to church every Sunday, and so, you know, I'm doing great. Well, you know, tell me about your thought life. We don't need to talk about that. Let's talk about me being in church every Sunday. And the reality is, unless we can do everything God asks us to do, unless we can do 100% of it, we're not going to be made righteous. We're not going to be right before God because of what we have done. And so we need to be careful about this idea of like pulling out certain things. Well, I've been a member of this church for forever. I, I do this or that. And putting our pride in that, it's a little bit like, you know, keeping the speed limit while you're breaking the law, running away from a police officer. It doesn't do you good to keep one part while you're disobeying another part. Now, what does he say that we go from there? He talks about the proof in verse 24 of the reality that we're living this way. Look with me in verse 24. It says there, As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The proof is this. Even outsiders can see your failure. Even outsiders can see your failure. He, he says here that God's name is blasphemed. Why? Because they're saying we're God's people, but then they're disobeying God's law all the time. And so he's, he's saying that God's name is being blasphemed because you're saying this is what we're living for, but, and, and this is what we're taking pride in, <clears throat> but yet you're not living that out. Um, before God called us to be here, I've told you guys this, this story before, but it's relevant here as well. Before God called us to, to come here uh, for me to be the pastor, um, I was a part of a, a church plant, and the church plant was focused on, um, the phrase that we used was, was it was a church for people who had given up on church. And, and so we were focused on people who had had a bad experience in church or um, had some reason to walk away from a traditional church. And... Um, and as I talked to people who were part of a church about what we were doing, before I started it, the response I expected was when I was talking about um, trying to reach those who had walked away from church and, and had a bitter taste in their mouth about their church experience, what I expected people who were in church to say was, why do we need another church? Like, they can just come back to the church that, that, that we have right now. And what I got was completely different. As I would talk to folks, and they, they were going to church, and I would say, you know, we're, we're trying to start a church for people who have given up on church, who walked away and had bitter experiences. What I got again and again and again, and it broke my heart, was not those that were in a church saying, you know, you shouldn't start that, that's ridiculous. What I got again and again and again was, you know, my brother used to go to church, but then the preacher had an affair, and he was like, I'm not going to be around that hypocrisy, and he walked away. You know, you know, my my kids used to go to church, but um, they saw that the youth leader wasn't living the way that he was supposed to, and wasn't taking it seriously, and they were like, if, if you know, if we're not going to take this seriously, then we're not going to do it, and they walked away. Over and over and over again, what I heard was that the reason that people had friends and relatives who had walked away, over and over again it was those of us in the church not 
living the way that we're supposed to. And the hypocrisy of us saying, I've been a member of this church for 50 years. I'm a Christian and I, I believe, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an example of how great God is. And yet living a life of utter hypocrisy and they just walk away. Verse 24 brings that out in a, in a powerful way when he says, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And when other people see our failure, when we claim, you know, I have this great religious identity, and yet our life is completely different from that, the hypocrisy gets us. The hypocrisy gets them again and again and again. The good news is he doesn't quit there, but he tells us the right focus and then how we are to get there. So let's talk about the right focus. The right focus is this. What's inside is what matters. What's inside is what matters. So if it's not about claiming a prideful religious identity, if it's not about trying to lift ourselves up and say that we're great, but instead that just reveals our hypocrisy, what is the plan that is being shared? Look at verse 25. I said when I was reading this passage, the point of circumcision here, that he mentions that, the point is not really about circumcision. The point is, here's an outward sign of obedience that the Jewish people did. You know, they, they would circumcise um, their babies, and that was an outward symbol of, of obedience. And he's going to get into the fact that it's not the outward things that matter, it's the inward things that matter. Verse 25, circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have written, you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. Here's what I want to focus on. A person is not a Jew who is only, I'm sorry, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. So, as you look at 28 and 29, we need to think about the way that we, in a lot of circles, kind of identify what it what it means to be a, a, a good Baptist, or what it means to be a good Christian. And a lot of times, the way that we do that are outward things. Well, I've got me a big, thick Bible, and I have it under my arm, and when I walk into church on Sunday morning, I have me a nice, big, thick Bible. That's an outward thing. Or, you know, I, I put on a, a, a nice pair of clothes and a nice suit or, or dress on Sunday morning, and I go to church, so I'm there in church on Sunday morning. Or I've got a fish bumper sticker on the back of my car, or whatever it is, a lot of times we talk about those outward things, and it's not that owning a Bible is wrong, it's certainly not that being in church is wrong, it's not that having a fish bumper sticker on the back of your car is wrong, but the point he's making here is that what Christianity is about, what following Jesus is about, is not about those outward things where we have these outward symbols where my heart is left untouched, but I have all these outward things, so I look like somebody who loves God. The point is not for me to look like somebody who loves God, the point is for me to become somebody who loves God. The point is not for me to come together and to say, I, you know, we all gather together and we say, you know, Jesus is great, and we say that outwardly. <clears throat> What's supposed to happen 
is that in the depths of my heart, in how I live my life, and how every day that, that I walk and, and the, the priorities that I have and the focus that I have and what I think is more important, that in all those things, Jesus Christ is the most important thing in my heart. Now here's the problem. It's really easy to fake being a Christian. I mean, get you a nice thick Bible and show up to church on Sunday morning and you learn, okay, now we stand up at this point and we sit down at this point and you, um, you know, if you really want to, if you really want to make them impress, you know, call the guy's brother and call the girl's sister and everybody will think, you know, you really know what you're doing. And you can, you can do all that kind of stuff and yet not be focused on Jesus as being the desire of your heart, the inward part that really matters. I remember, um, when I was a young pastor, um, I was only a I'd only been a pastor for two or three years, and, and the, the church that I was a part of, uh, we were doing a building project. We were building a new sanctuary, and, and that was taking a lot of extra time. And so I had all the normal stuff I had to do, plus um, we, we had this building project going on. And I looked up at one point and realized it was, it was a typical work week. And I looked up at one point and realized I've been occupied the entire week with religious stuff. And I had not taken the time to pray that whole week. According to what Judy said earlier. Um, there's all this religious activity in my life, and yet I didn't have time to spend in the presence of God, to, to talk to my Father, to, to cultivate my inner life. And as you look at these verses here, I want to ask you this morning, as we talk about it being what's inside that matters, you know, when you think of your life this morning, and I'm not going to ask for hands being raised, I'm not going to ask for you to stand up or sit down or anything like that, but within your own heart this morning, when you think about your, your faith in Christ, and when you think about, you know, what God is doing in your life, look at 28 with me again. A person is not a Jew. He's focusing on the Jews here. We could add the word a believer in there. A person is not a believer who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew, a person is a believer who is one inwardly. I want you to just think for a second about your own faith in God and your own life before God. And I want you to think about what that looks like in your life right now. Is it is the majority of it outward stuff? I, I own a Bible. I don't read the Bible to take Jesus into my heart, but I own a Bible. I, I show up for church on Sunday. I don't really worship God fully. Um, I would never raise a hand or come to the altar or say amen or, or really focus too much on the sermon because you know it might kind of get me off. But but I come to church on Sunday. Um, I, I, I say I'm a Christian. Now, I'm not going to alter my life in ways where, you know, it might cost me money at work or it might make anybody think that I'm weird or different, but, you know, I'm going to say I'm a Christian. Is it outward stuff or is there a living, vibrant, inward reality where no matter what everybody else thinks of you, no matter what outward appearance of, of religious or lack of religious life there is within within your life, is there 
in the depths of your heart a large piece of your life is about Jesus? Is there in the depths of your heart, can you say that the thing that I love more than anything else is Jesus? Or is it all outward? And what 28 and 29 there indicate to us is it's not that coming to church is bad. It's not that having a Bible is bad. It's not that, that saying you're a Christian is bad. But what God is trying to do in our lives is not have us look like Christians. This is the most important thing I'm going to say, so pay attention. What God, I'll use myself, what God is trying to do in my life is not to have me look outwardly like I'm a Christian. What God is trying to do in my life is to inwardly make me like Jesus. To, to, to have His compassion and to have His priorities and to have the love for people that He had and to have the love of God that He had. And, and the goal is not for me to get to the end of my life and for all of you to look at my life and say, man, he, he was a good believer. You know, he got up and preached every Sunday morning and, and you know, he, he carried around a Bible. It's not about the outward things. The goal is for me to stand before God someday and say, let's say if I die today, 35 years ago, Jim, you accepted Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad that you did. And as I look in your heart over those last 35 years, you became so much more like Jesus. That's the goal. Because Jesus is the most incredible person who's ever existed. The goal is not to have this outward appearance. The goal is for us to become like Jesus. Look at the last thing. Look in, um, in 29. The last thing is this. How, how, do, how do you get there? Okay, if it's not, we, we talked earlier about, you know, we have the law and the law can't get us there because you have to be perfect or these outward appearances don't get us there um, because you know, we end up falling short. 29 gives us how we get there. And that's important because he doesn't want to leave us in the dark or feeling um, feeling as though we can't do anything. How do we get there? A changed heart through the Holy Spirit. A changed heart through the Holy Spirit. Um, look at the rest of 29. This is, this is really insightful as a spiritual truth. It says, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the who? Spirit, by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So what we see there is that as we receive Christ in, what He will do then is He comes in and changes our heart, and as we have a changed heart, He then empowers us as we go forward through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not us trying to earn it ourselves, it's not us trying to say that we're great enough ourselves, but it is the power of the Holy Spirit bringing about those changes. So to go back over here, if my life is better and I'm more like Christ now than I was 35 years ago, I don't look at that and say, well, you know, you guys should be impressed with me because I'm obviously really impressive and my religious identity is that I'm a Christian and look at how great I am. If I am more like Jesus today than I was 35 years ago, what do I say? I don't say it's because of how great I am. It's This is what I say. It's because of how great Jesus was in saving me 
and how powerful the Holy Spirit is in changing my life every day. I want to close with this. Um, There's a really powerful quote that I I think is worth us thinking about this morning. Um, Everybody remembers the Columbine tragedy a number of years ago. And, um, And somebody did an interview several years later with one of the mothers of one of the shooters. Um, and obviously there's a ton of guilt there over the fact that your son was somebody who did such a horrible thing. And what she said is really interesting and really insightful for, for what we want for what we're talking about this morning. Um, so in the midst of all the guilt and, and all the retrospection that she does about her son's life and the horrible thing that he did, listen to what she says. In raising Dylan, I taught him how to protect himself from a host of dangers. Lightning, snake bites, head injuries, skin cancer, smoking, drinking, drug addiction, reckless driving, even carbon monoxide poisoning. It never occurred to me that the greatest danger to him and as it turned out to many others might come from within. At the end of the day, our biggest opportunity and our biggest danger is what's inside. We believe as Christians that that we're sinners. We believe that we've fallen short. We believe that we can't earn our way to God through doing more stuff because we're always going to be imperfect. But we believe that Jesus Christ, through His sacrifice on the cross, if we believe in Him, can come in and can transform our heart we get a changed heart, and then the Holy Spirit begins to work within us to move us forward so that we can genuinely be more like Christ. The greatest danger is within. But once we've received Jesus, the greatest opportunity is within also. Let's pray. Father, I thank You this morning that You've given us the direction to go. That You give us a way to not just look like we know what we're doing or look like we have some religiosity, but that You want to change us into beings who are like You. Your love, Your grace, Your mercy, Your joy. I pray this morning that we would recognize the opportunity to be changed from the inside. I pray in Jesus' name.